you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Hope you want to make friends. Just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me. At Jim Cramer. On a simply fabulous day, Nadal roared 561 points, SP jumped 1.78%, and the NASDAQ surged 2.40%. We got a nice reminder that good things can still happen. Good things like the president saying he might get a similar stimulus deal with a Joe Manchin, a master of the Senate, or, or it'll be more flexible in the travel ban, both of which sent up the travel stocks and pushed down bond prices, and that helped the banks. We spend so much time talking about the Fed, though, and the president's proposals and Washington's machinations that occasionally we forget the simple truth that stocks tend to trade on their own future prospects, not just the direction of interest rates or the passage of federal stimulus or even a pandemic. Sure, we have a situation where Omicron can cause a lot of havoc. But now that there's a belief that the super infectious new strain could eventually burn itself out, well, that's positive. More importantly, if we know corporate earnings will be okay during the Omicron havoc, then we've got a decent shot at making some real money here. Even if the averages don't stay as strong as they were today. And remember, we don't think they can. Now, speaking of this session, coming into today, most people would have presumed that we'd be down again after yesterday's carnage. Why not? I mean, we've learned that Omicron has already become the overwhelmingly dominant strain in this country. We didn't even know it existed until the day before Thanksgiving. It was 3% of the country last week. It's 73% now. That's terrifying. Of course, we got the usual national split. Lots of people simply don't care, refuse to get vaccinated, even as this new strain is 70 times more contagious than the Delta variant and can deliver a punch of its own, just ask my wife. But the fact that you can catch COVID even with a triple vaccination, as I and many of my friends and family have in the last week, is pretty unnerving, even if it is a more mild form. So things were looking ugly yesterday. Then along comes Micron, no, uh, not Omicron, the variant, but Micron, the company. Now, if you don't know Micron, it's a semiconductor manufacturer of DRAMs and flash chips. Those are the most basic building blocks for anything digital. Last night, these guys, whom you know I like very much, reported. And when I read the conference call transcript, I was agape. Their business was fabulous. Fabulous on almost every line. Now, this was not supposed to be the case. 
In fact, a lot of investors were terrified of a downside surprise because Micron has these huge up and down cycles. It's an incredibly boom and bust business. Wall Street thought we were in on a bust phase. And maybe that bust phase would last a year, maybe two years. Not unusual. What we heard from Micron was the exact opposite, which is why I was up so much today. There was no down cycle this time. There might have been a pause, which there was too much supply, okay? But that pause didn't even last for six months. It was astounding. So what changed? The end markets that Micron plays in. This company used to be hostage to the personal computer. Basic chips, you know. Now they got their mitts in pretty much anything digital. And a lot of this stuff is higher performance than we're used to from Micron. Sanjay Marotra, the straight shooting CEO, told an incredibly important business story on last night's call. Uh, it, that call was faster than a speeding Fed chair, more powerful than Joe Manchin, and able to leap the White House in a single bound. And because Micron's in everything, the positive pin action lifted a ton of stocks. First, Sanjay told us that the data center market was incredibly strong, making it hard for them to meet demand. Well, that's fantastic news for Amazon Web Services, for Microsoft Azure, for Google Cloud, and even IBM. Speaking of Amazon, you know, I think Prime is crushing here thanks to Omicron, which gives you a solid reason to stay home and order things over the Internet for Christmas. As someone who's quarantined and can't leave the house, I can barely believe how much stuff I find myself ordering. I I almost want to attend an Amazon uh, anonymous meeting. Is there one nearby? I mean, holy cow. I bought something during this show. Anything that's good news for Microsoft's Azure only augments an already strong business that has the power to push through price increases. What are you going to do? Stop using Windows? I dare you. Google can be both data center and data hard. I always want to know what they're doing. Finally, IBM does matter. And while I'm concerned that this could be a convoluted quarter for them, the strength of Micron makes me want to pull the trigger after they report. Of course, Meta Platforms, the artist formerly known as Facebook, is also a data hog. So you could argue they must be doing well, too. And when data centers are booming, then you know what that means. It's time to buy AMD. NVIDIA, and Marvell Tech, the latter of which just reported a big number and is way down from its highs. I think these three companies have a lot going for them away from data centers, too, especially AMD and NVIDIA, which dominate their end markets with their high-performance chips. Marvell's got some really good 5G, too. Now, these stocks have been quite weak of late, so you're being given a chance to buy them at a Fed and Omicron-induced discount, something I have been telling members of the CNBC Investing Club to do. You should have joined by now. What's the point of not? Micron also said cell phones were strong. Well, that means Apple, which means Skyworks Solutions, which means Corvo, which means Broadcom, which oddly lagged the group today, even as it's been strong. And it also means Xilinx, which is close to being acquired by AMD. Of course, most investors just care about Apple. Who can blame them? Not its suppliers. And you know what? I am making an assumption from what I heard last night that business is even stronger than I thought at Apple. My goal, though, is to show you how far-reaching Micron is that can practically carry the whole market on its back, particularly the mega techers. Oh, and Apple, I have a new theory. Own it, don't trade it. <laughs> All right. But let's save the best for last. Automobiles. Micron's made tremendous inroads in the auto industry, particularly electric vehicle batteries, but also the autonomous driving features that need lots of semiconductor content. Well, Sanjay blew everyone's socks off when he predicted that there would be an end to most auto-related semiconductor shortages as early as the middle of the year. Most, most shortages altogether. But listen to this. This is gigantic. you gotta, you got to understand. This is just gigantic. Until this conference call, anyone who suggested that the shortages might be over soon would have been dismissed as a total wishful thinker out of touch with reality. 
But nobody has a better read on this industry than Micron because it straddles every Internet of Things fence. Now, if we can really solve the semiconductor shortage this year, I, mean, I, got, I got news for you. That's got major implications for a ton of industries. Just like uh, just going by what we like for the charitable trust, CMC Investment Club members know that we think, and especially if you were at our last club meeting, Ford is a terrific company. By the way, we also own Cisco, which is doing well in software. But we were worried about supply chain problems. We had to schnitzel a little. Oh, I wish we had now. I mean, the Micron call alleviated a lot of the fear there. If the automakers can get chips, they can get the chips they need. They can boost production, setting off a chain reaction that will push down the price of used cars, which is the principal cause of inflation that Fed chair is so worried about. We know that chips are the gating factor for not just Ford, but also GM. Can you imagine if they can meet 2023 demand, how huge that would be? I like Ford the most. Buy Ford. When things are tight in the chip industry, you can also buy the semiconductor capital equipment stocks, including applied materials, KLA, and LAM Research. LCR, LRCX is our favorite of those. Now we got some other bullish reports that look good pin action last night, too. Nike told us that the retail consumers are alive and well, which ignited that whole group. We've been worried about them. Desperately needed to get given the recent Omicron sell-off. Then Biden, thank heavens, took the possibility of another lockdown off the table, which put a bid in the uh, bunch of travel stocks. He also sounded confident about passing a scaled-back version of the Build Back Better bill. But in the end, it was the news from Micron that had the biggest impact. The bottom line, I know this is a, a lot to come to terms with, especially with the Santa Claus rally in town. Most of the big-name experts wouldn't deign to read about a single quarter from a single company, though. But that's their mistake, and we don't make it here. In this business, you need truth-telling tentacles, and Micron is the one that has almost all of them. I want to take calls, and I want to start by talking to Kyle in Delaware. Kyle! Holly jolly booyah to you, Mr. Kramer. Hey, good luck to the Eagles as they well, take on Washington ooh, football like team that. tonight. As a Cowboys yeah, fan, man, I, I got to tell you that, that. Well, I got to get after the show. I got to get down there. That I'm quarterbacking the Washington football team. They had to get somebody. All right, what's going on? I'm calling about Corsair Gaming. They looked very promising several months ago, but the supply chain issues have been affecting them pretty strongly. Do you still believe in their long-term demand? And do you think, well, if so, the problem that this is look at Logitech. Look at Logitech's, Logitech's a better company, and that can't hold up either. I mean, these are companies that are at the mercy of, uh, of supply chain problems, and, and it's just really hard to solve them. They get solved last. Let's go to Angelo in New York. Angelo. Hi, Jim. Uh, my question is about uh, Dix. Hi. I bought uh, Dix at 120 hi. Now it's down here. You think I should buy some more, or should I hope it goes up before my wife finds out and kills me? Wow, I, geez, that's, I'd like to avoid that particular homicide. Most homicides are from home. Uh, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you good news. Dix should be bought right here, right now. I'm not kidding. I think Dix is just ridiculously, ridiculously low, and I like it. That was a dynamite quarter. I think your marriage is safe. I think your life is safe. Well, at least for you. I mean, but based on Dix. Now, some stock... Some stocks illustrate the big picture for us. Micron is one of those. And boy, did we see that kind of pin action today, and it caused the market to roar. Oh, man, tonight, President Biden is ready to spend some real money on COVID testing. So I'm giving the four to one of the best health experts on the matter. 
Dr. Michael Mina, acknowledged to be the man on this issue. Then could the market have some more upside thanks to the Santa Claus rally? I'm going off the charts to find out how long this strength could last. And a company that has seen pre-COVID levels in some of its business. I'm cutting into Blade Air Mobility. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Today, President Biden finally got serious about the Omicron strain. Now, he's not just pushing booster shots. He's also spending real money to bolster our COVID testing apparatus from free federally run testing sites. It's first opening in New York City this week. Maybe those long lines will end. To sending 500 million free at-home test kits to any household that requests one. When I heard that part of the plan, I immediately thought of Dr. Michael Muna. Now, this doctor is one of our favorite public health experts, and he's also now the chief science officer at EMED. That's a startup that aims to improve access to healthcare online, including rapid at-home testing solutions. He's the first person who told me about them. Uh, he's been adamant for uh, the need for mass COVID testing for ages. So tonight, I want to give him the floor to talk about Biden's new plan. Dr. Mina, welcome back to Mad Money. Oh, thanks so much. Really happy to be here. OK, so, Doc, the first thing I want to ask you is that last listen, last week I uh, went to a party. Everyone had to be PCR tested negative. OK, so we all got our tests. You had to do it that morning. Uh, I went to the event. 
I got COVID. And it turns out someone next to me called me the next day and said, listen, uh, sorry, I tested positive today. And sure enough, um, well, I got it. How's this possible? So I think what what it is demonstrating, especially it sounds like you had a PCR test that afternoon right before the event and still people uh, and everyone had a PCR test right before the event or a few hours before and still somebody got through and uh, unfortunately infected you. Uh, it sounds like you found out the next day, perhaps, that you were positive or maybe two days later. Well, it was, it was, a, a, it was uh, just, you know, the. I found out later that week uh, that they tested positive. Had I known, I would have immediately stopped going to work. But later that week, I found out, you know what? Hey, we were positive after all. So what I'm trying to figure out is how is that possible that you could get tested that day and, and then come yeah, be negative and then still get it from someone? Yep. So this is unfortunately what's happening with Omicron is we're finding that it's extraordinarily infectious. That's why it's sweeping across America right now at breakneck speed. And what that means is that uh, you can be negative in the morning, in the afternoon and be positive and infectious later that day, even on a PCR test. And this is really uh, it's it doesn't mean testing isn't important, but it means that we have to be extraordinarily vigilant when we are thinking of gathering in big groups that we can't rely only on a test and we never really could rely only on a test. And Omicron has only made it much more difficult. But, but Doc, why, do, why doesn't everybody know this? Why didn't the president mention it? Why is it only in Boston that they shut down all these events without some sort of proof? How can we stop it? I mean, how, what's, how do you stop something that, that you get tested in the morning and, and you get it in the afternoon? Well, the important thing is that most people you were in a that that individual must have just been exposed, you know, and was not at a very high viral load yet. So I agree it is making it much more difficult, but it doesn't mean testing is not useful because uh, there are many days during which somebody's infectious that their tests will turn positive. So at a population level, okay. if somebody is infectious, they will most likely be tested positive that same day. But there are going to be these cases where 10 or 15 or 20 percent of people who are infectious are still going to be negative when they start transmitting. And then they might only turn positive the next day. And I, I agree it is it is making it extremely difficult to be able to to control this virus, which is why it's just spreading like wildfire. And unfortunately, what it means is we need to be testing. We need to be wearing masks again. We need to be you know, we potentially need to be stopping large gatherings so that we can uh, reduce uh, the fallout of uh, of a situation like this where somebody might be infectious. I mean, has, can't, won't there be some sort of the likelihood of a super spreader, I mean, super, super spreader event, an indoor arena for a basketball game? Uh, could, couldn't something like that just generate, it, like if one person had measles when I was growing up, the whole class got measles that day. I mean, could we be on inverse or something like that? Well, we could. Ideally, though, one of the best things about a test is that it will catch the most infectious people. So somebody is walking into a building and is spewing out so much virus that they might infect 20 or 30 people who are closely, you know, closely packed in. That would be a true super spreader. These tests are doing a very, very good job at catching the most infectious people. And so my recommendation is when people have gatherings or events, use a rapid test as soon before an event as possible. 15 minutes before an event, pull out a rapid test and use it 
And don't do it a day before. Don't do it three days before. Don't even, if possible, don't even do it five hours before. Do it 10 minutes before, if possible. Okay. Well, well, one last question. You know, Dr. Doctor, uh, President Biden said he'd make 500 million tests available. Uh, you, know, uh, you know this business better. You were the first one to show me his tests. I mean, first of all, is, is that possible? Second, we've got a Pfizer drug that could be approved tomorrow. Maybe that'd be a better way to approach do defense uh, defense procurement, make it so that every drug company had to produce it. But then finally, there are no 500 million ch- tests around unless you go to China. What, how, what, does, is there a secret stash that nobody knows about? So there's not, unfortunately. There are 500 million tests in the world. There's billions of tests in the world. The U.S. doesn't have access to all of those yet, uh, but we are working on it. You know, we've had a very slow regulatory process in the United States, and it's left us far behind our, our peer nations. So what's going to happen is we're going to start seeing these tests become available in January. And the president is trying to make a big push to get Americans these tests. But like you said, Pfizer is about to come out. What we need to do is use the test strategically. Pfizer drug is going to come out, and it's doing an amazing job of keeping people out of the hospital if you use it within three days of symptom onset and a positive result. Right. So what we need to do now is figure out how to use these rapid tests in a verified and authenticated way so that somebody could use a rapid test sitting in their home. The moment they're sick, they can then get a prescription immediately delivered to them, for example, from Pfizer, you know, from a pharmacy, and they can start on the treatment very quickly. We won't be able to rely on slow PCR tests where people have to go and stand in line when they're sick if they want to get started on treatment early. So it's actually something we're doing at EMED right now is making it possible for people to get started on treatment really, really fast. Well, that, that's exactly what we need. Well, look, Dr. Mina, thank you so much for coming on. Dr. Michael Mina is the chief science officer of EMED. He's been true north the whole way. Man, money's back after the break. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What a day. With the market roaring back from its lows, hey, hey, Santa's coming to town. It's something like we're at a major crossroads, right? Uh, what's the real? Yesterday's beatdown, today's comeback. Whenever we're in a confusing, highly charged emotional situation, you know what I like to do. I like to fall back on something more quantitative, empirical, emotionless. Because it's harder for your, when your feelings cloud your judgment, 
You're just not good enough to be in this game. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carly Garner. She's a brilliant technician, really knows commodities, who's the co-founder of the Carly Trading, the author of Higher Probability Commodity Trading. And, of course, the S&P 500, that's a commodity, people. And she's going to give us a better read on both the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq. Garner's got a very good track record lately. A couple of months ago, she predicted that the price of oil would pull back to the 60s. That's exactly what happened. You may not realize it, but at the time, it was at 80. And we had all these analysts gushing about $100 a barrel. Wrong. So what does she think of the broader stock market here? Remember, the stock market is a commodity. As Garner sees it, there are two ways this holiday season can go. Either we keep recovering like we did today, which turns into a melt-up into New Year and moderately beyond... Or today's rally is a head fake, and we get a holiday wake-up call. Now, she's leaning toward the bullish interpretation right now, because historically, this is a seasonally strong period for stocks, as we've been saying over and over again. Longer term, she thinks the trajectory of this market is unsustainable. At some point next year, or possibly sooner, Garner predicted the bulls will get a painful reminder that the market can also go down. Now, ever since the uh, bottom in March of 2020, we have seen a stunning rally with a few shallow corrections. Thanks to this move, skeptics look like fools, right? It, it, although I'm the only one who really calls them out. Dip buyers look like geniuses. But now Garner thinks that the market's gotten overcrowded, which is why she thinks it's time to stop being so complacent. Take a look at this weekly chart of the E-mini S&P 500 futures, which includes data from the CFTC's Commitments of Traders report, the one that shows you the holdings of small speculators, larger speculators, and commercial hedgers. What we care about are the large speculators. See, they're the professional money managers. Garner points out that this group is net long the S&P futures to an extent that we haven't seen since October of 2018. And that's right before a huge decline that didn't run its course until Christmas Eve of the same year. I don't like those odds. We saw a similar level of bullishness in early 2018, also right before a sharp correction. When a trade gets too crowded, you eventually run out of buyers. And the whole thing tends to collapse under its own weight. I am concerned about that. At the same time, Garner also notes that large speculators are heavily short 10-year Treasury futures. In other words, lots of money managers are long stocks and short bonds. But if this trade unwinds and we get a big portfolio rebalance, well, there could be some serious carnage. She thinks there's a high probability that could actually happen early next year. We'll be ready for it if it does. So to put the pace of the gains in context, look at these remarkable charts. This is the monthly chart of the NASDAQ 100 futures. That's an index made up of the 100 largest non-financial stocks in the NASDAQ composite. This index only took about 20 months to rally 10,000 points, 10,000 points from March 2020 bottom. By contrast, the last NASDAQ 100 rally saw a 7,000 point gain over the course of 10 years. Historically, moves like this eventually run out of steam. Garner's just not sure whether these tech stocks will consolidate their gains by trading sideways for an extended period, which would be good, or if we'll get an agonizing decline. Bad. The last couple of months have been real ugly for a lot of tech. But if, she, if it's the latter scenario, she wouldn't be surprised if a lot more downside. You know, that's, a lot of those, I think, are those ones that, you know, I say that make no money. All right. Now, how about the S&P 500 itself? Take a gander at the daily chart. For now, Garner says the trend remains higher because we have too much money chasing too few assets, which gives us some nice bullish momentum. You can draw a pivot trend line from the ceiling of resistance we ran into the middle of the year. That pivot line has acted as a floor of support for most of the second half of the year, except for a temporary breach in September and October. Now, it's called a pivot line 
because this level is often where the S&P's trajectory changes course or pivots, including where it changed course yesterday. Right now, the pivot line is around 4,500. And as long as that level holds, Gardner thinks the market will have a very merry Christmas. If we get the typical Santa Claus rally that you know Larry Williams says is happening right now, then she's predicting that the S&P could run all the way to 4,800, maybe even 4,920. Wow. However, if the floor support falls, I mean, fails to hold, meaning we get a 150-point pullback from here, Garner says the S&P has another floor near 4,400, thanks to an uptrend line that started in the spring. But if that floor collapses too, Garner says that would be a sign the trend is changing, at which point she'd expect the bulls to start liquidating their massive holdings. After 4,400, the next floor support is way down at 4,000, so that could get pretty darn ugly. And how about the S&P's longer-term monthly chart? While the rally here hasn't been quite as steep as the one in the NASDAQ 100, it's still way above the trend. Basically, it's out of bounds. After breaking through the trend line ceiling of resistance a year ago, Gardner notes that the S&P has been trading well above its natural upward slope. However, historically, these types of breakouts almost always see a retest of the previously broken trend line. In other words, she expects the S&P to pull back near the trend line, which again would put it around 4,000. People, that's down almost 14% from here. That's a big hit, 14%. If we get a close below 4,000, she thinks that would pave the way for a much larger correction. While this might sound insanely bearish right now, and to me it really does, Garner wouldn't be shocked if the S&P tumbles toward the 3,000 level. Even 2,600 could be considered as an outline price target if things get truly out of hand. Look, I'm just, I'm just the messenger here. Doesn't help that the relative strength index, RSI, an important momentum indicator, is currently in overbought territory on the monthly chart, although my S&P oscillator says we're at minus two, but that's a different uh, animal entirely. When you look at the action over the last 20 years, a reading this high can open the door to some nasty declines. Remember that commitments of traders report, the COT data that I said at the beginning? The bullish side of the trade, well, it's crowded. When the bulls panic, you end up with a stampede that can do a tremendous amount of damage. Put it all together. Garner's not saying that you're getting a sell signal at this very moment. Right now, the general trend is higher, and she thinks the S&P is likely to rally through the end of the year. She wouldn't be surprised if we see some new highs either. So Santa Claus is indeed coming to town. However, Garner wants you to understand that the rally from March of 2020 has been extremely unusual. This is not how markets usually behave, and she doesn't believe it can last forever. As we get hit with a series of rate hikes next year, you're going to have to steal yourself for uglier action. That makes sense to me. Rate hikes are bad for the stock market. Here's the bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by Carly Garner, suggest that the S&P 500 could still have some more upside thanks to that Santa Claus rally that normally gets going at this time in December. But as we head into 2022, she thinks you need to be a lot less complacent because this kind of strength simply won't last forever. Let's Cool. Let's talk to Naveen in California. Naveen. Hi, Jim. Hope you're feeling better after a recent COVID inve- infection. Oh, you're very kind. And I am. Thank you so much for the well wishes. I do. I did. It, it, it was a little bit of a strain there, but I'm back. What's going on? All right. I am a longtime listener and a fan and a subscriber to the Action Alert Plus portfolio. Thank you for all that you do for the Main Street investors. I had a question Thank about you. this. Talk in the payments space, um, 
they, they have a very good uh, payments uh, f- uh, business for fuel cards and are diversifying into EV cards. And they're investing heavily into the corporate payment space, leveraging existing fuel card base that they have. The name of the stock is Fleet Core, uh, ticker symbol FLT. Uh, it has relatively low. PC I know Fleet Core. I know Fleet Core. Yeah. Now, I mean, here's the problem. The, these are companies that have gotten, uh, they've just fallen very out of favor. Anything in the payment space, anything, good or bad, getting slammed. I like yours. By the way, I also like Wex. But right now, the payment space is not the place to be. And thank you for being a subscriber. And we just want to be clear, this is to the CNBC Investing Club. I no longer have my charitable trust somewhere else. I've moved it over here. It makes it easier to find me all in one place. All right, the charts are saying Santa Claus is coming to town. I once did a solo of that, but it was in seventh grade. And it was because I sang ahead of everybody else. It wasn't a real solo. But he isn't staying for long. On Mad Tonight, leadership could have done a much better job at handling COVID. I'm giving my take on a new way to approach a divided nation. Then for the first time, I'm talking to the CEO of Blade Air Mobility, the Uber for helicopter travel with some new twists. Don't miss, this is me being helicopter. Don't miss my exclusive and all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. We know the market soured on all sorts of formerly high-flying junior growth stocks, even as they rebounded nicely today, and that's terrific. But what do you do when these companies put up incredible numbers and they just are too good to ignore? Take Blade Air Mobility, which is basically, some people say, an Uber for helicopter travel with some new twists. Yesterday, Blade reported an excellent quarter with sales that came in almost 50% higher than expected, not to mention a spoiler expected loss. Hey, they're getting pretty close to profitability. And they've added business lines that make it so they're more than just a helicopter for hire company, much more. Even better, management had some terrific commentary about the current quarter, too. Their short-distance travel business has already reached pre-COVID levels in terms of their annualized passenger run rate. And for that, the stock jumped more than 4% yesterday before tacking on another 5% today. It's still down substantially from its highs, so it may be a bargain. Is this worth buying into this kind of long-term weakness? Let's take a closer look at Rob Wiesenthal. He's the founder and CEO of Blade Air Mobility. Learn more about the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Wiesenthal, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you for having me, Jim. Rob, this is a great moment because I know that I prefer to call your company an urban air mobility company. And you've added some things that I think are terrific. But one of the things I want to just get up right, right off the bat is when you started this company, you do not plan on 2026, 2027 profitability. This is a real company with real earnings that could happen rather quickly, isn't it? No, it really is, Jim. Uh, you know, we may be flying uh, helicopters uh, today, but we're not a, a helicopter company. And we're building the entire ecosystem for urban air mobility today from the terminals that you actually go into to get on your flight where we do security, health and safety, and baggage assessment, to a technology stack that goes from consumer to cockpit, uh, our marketing, our routes, our branding, and all of our customers uh, as well. And we're doing that in the U.S., we're doing that now in Canada, and we're also doing it uh, for moving human organs uh, for transplant uh, with our partner hospitals. And we're doing that both or- building this organically and by uh, acquisition. Uh, and we're doing this right now at 22% flight margins. And uh, I know that 
you tell your viewers to invest in profitable companies. You know, profitability is a choice for us. Uh, we can do that with our mature roots, but we're choosing to grow. And over the past uh, quarter, we had about uh, a little bit over a million dollar adjusted EBITDA loss. So, uh, you know, profitability in terms of our core business really is at hand. Well, Rob, I think it's important for people to understand. And a lot of people at one point think, oh, it's a Hampton service, whatever. And I have used Blade and been a good customer. But one of the things that occurs to me is that anywhere where there's a traffic jam, where you want to get to something, anywhere where it's just literally a short distance on the Eastern Corridor or other places, fans want to travel. But fans know if they miss the first quarter of a game, then they didn't go to the game. Isn't it possible that you guys could run variable routes and make money every time that you did one of those routes, if you price it correctly, for all over the country? Absolutely. Our job is to find high-friction routes, routes that take a long time by car, short time by helicopter that are priced effectively. That could be going to the airport uh, for $195 in five minutes instead of uh, a two-hour drive, say, from Manhattan on the west side to Kennedy. It could be flying to uh, UBS Stadium from New York for a game, just like you said, or going to Philadelphia uh, to see your favorite teams. Uh, so whenever there's friction, events, airport, city congestion, if we can see that dynamic between reducing friction on the road uh, that you have in terms of time saved and do it on a cost-effective basis, we'll do it. And that great unlock that's coming is electric vertical aircraft. Not because it's electric, it's because it's quiet. No one's building new heliports. New, new infrastructure will only be built once we have quiet and emission-free aircraft. That increases our addressable market. Because if I can land next to your house, Jim, and take you to a Philly game, that's much more valuable than you getting in a car and going to a Blade terminal. Now, I do want to know, I, I think people at home are thinking right now, wait a second, how's he going to afford all these helicopters? But that's not the business model, correct? No, we're asset light. And in fact, we uh, have about 29 operators today. Uh, we represent between 70 and 100% of their business usually. They have to go through strenuous uh, audits in terms of safety. They use uh, our operator dashboard to manage flights and use our branding. Uh, they learn about our customer service. Because remember, most of these, a lot of the economics coming, uh, come from putting six people on a six-person helicopter. Before Blade, the average utilization of a helicopter was 1.5 people for every six seats on a helicopter. Additionally, we reduce their costs. They no longer have marketing. They no longer have customer service. Uh, and they, not even accounting. We give them an accounting dashboard, not unlike Walmart. So they cut their costs. They have a lot of hours committed to them, and they have visibility in terms of the kind of uh, revenues they'll have going forward. So the operators are happy, and we're happy. All right, so, Rob, one last question. I know when you first envisioned this, there, there was not a COVID issue. Uh, where are you in relation to, say, 2019? And are you in some ways uh, unaffected by a, a, a new wave? Because, well, as long as you can need to get somewhere, you're going to get somewhere as long as nobody has COVID in your helicopter. That's a very good point. You know, the revenues for the year were approximately 51 million. That's about 116 percent uh, higher than the previous year and then up 62 percent versus our 2019 COVID year. And you're 100 percent right. Because of our meta mobility business and because of having a chief medical officer that really helped us get into that business, which provides a lot of insulation. 
you know, uh, transplants for uh, human organ transplants are happening regardless of the pandemic. So that gives us some good insulation. But we were the first to institute mandatory masks on helicopters, the first to institute uh, mandatory blood oxygen saturation level testing. And then on September 7th, we were the first to mandate have mandated that you must be fully vaccinated to go on any blade flight, long haul or short haul. Uh, and uh, in, in the beginning, like I was, uh, we were all flamed on Twitter. You know, you know it well more than than a lot of people. But I think our our customers feel safe, our staff feels safe, and I think all in all, it's obviously been great for the company. Well, I think you're absolutely right. You know that we wrote you up as being one of the few that should be bought ahead of time because you have a real business model, you are a real operator, and this is a no nonsense business that you're running right. Rob Wiesenthal, Blade Air Mobility CEO. I want you to come back when you report your next quarter, okay? Look forward to it. Thanks a lot, Jim. Thank you. May have money's back after the break. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. Talk the lightning round. Let's start with John in New York. John. Jim, a big booyah from Staten Island, New York. Staten Island. We don't get enough people from Staten Island. Call them. What's happening? Come on, man. That's where all, this, that's where all the, the Wall Street money is, brother. Toad Hill. But, um, I like anyway, that. I Jim, love Toad Hill. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim, listen, um, I like to do a little, inv- I did a little uh, investing. I, I like to look for these um, small companies that I think are going to be up and coming. I did some research on a company called Insight. I-N-C-Y. Uh, I got to tell you, that one makes no sense that it's down here. I think you got a really good one. I think you should uh, maybe buy even more than you have. I don't get it. I think this stock is, you know, remember, this company actually makes money. It's real good. I think the big boys are going to come to it. Nice call. Let's go to Mark in South Carolina. Mark. Hi, Jim. I've been watching ever since you recommended for Generon at $5 a share. I may have found the next for Generon. That was my first guest. I know. Really? I may have found the next for Generon. I'm pretty excited about this company. Jeff Bezos and Amazon are major investors and perceptive advisors. One of the most successful biotech funds in history holds over 9 million shares. Insiders have been buying hand over fist over the past several months. The company is flushed with cash, $350 million to bank, no debt. The ticker is N-A-U-T. Not a- yeah, that, not, not a list. They, they, that's, a, that's an interesting horrible company. Um, look, this one is too small for me to just point blank and say, you're absolutely right, we got to love it. I got to do more work on it. Uh, it. It does seem very strange because Bezos is very, you know, it looks like they're very involved. It, it, it's an odd one. Let me do some work. Let's go to Alex in Louisiana. Alex. Hey, Jim. Appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, and I'm wishing you a speedy recovery. Oh, thank you, buddy. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. What's up? N- not a problem. Uh, my question is concerning Corning. I've had my eye on Cornings for years because their Gorilla Glass is used across manufacturers and product lines 
from everything from Apple to Android. In fact, Apple invested $45 million in coins this year. Now, look, the product, they've never, they're unassailable in terms of their manufacturing, but in terms of making money with that manufacturing, there are so many other better companies, I cannot recommend the stock. I'd like to go to Iowa. Jim in Iowa. Jim. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, uh, Jim, and uh, happy holidays. Oh, same uh, to you. Say, what's going on? Okay, well, as a retiree, I use dividends for my income. So Icon Enterprises, IEP, pays an $8 per year dividend on a $50 stock. Do you think that's sustainable? No, I think it's variable is the problem. I don't know what's in Icon Enterprises. He doesn't tell us. I wish I knew. So therefore, it's too much of a black box for me to recommend. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. This morning, I trashed an alphabet soup of federal health agencies for their epic failure of leadership. Maybe President Biden was listening because he's finally taking action, tough action, to address the Omicron variant by doing things that should have been, well, he should have been doing them ages ago. Maybe he's been watching. Wouldn't be the craziest thing. One thing is for certain. I'm glad he stopped deferring to the health regulators in this country because they've spent the last two years confusing the heck out of us and answering to no one. Now, I'm not just lobbing bombs here. I have substantive criticism and concrete solutions. First, the CDC, NIH, and FDA have been all over the place when they should have been speaking with one clear voice. Second, humility. They need to admit that there's a lot we still don't know. Look, I learned a long time ago when I worked at Goldman Sachs that I don't know is a legitimate answer. Our health regulators should practice it. There was an easy way to handle COVID, one that could have united the country. All they had to do was say, look, we don't know anything other than it can kill you. And then when we got the vaccines, they only had to say, we don't know if these will stop new strains. And there will be more strains. But we do know that you'll be a lot less likely to die if you get your shots. That's it. No false promises. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. How many shots will you need? They should have left that ambiguous. For example, right now we think we need three. But we'll probably need more boosters as time goes on. Their earlier bogus certainty sickens me. Booster? Many in the drug community knew that it would be a three-shot regimen to begin with. Maybe more. Finally, they should have spent time talking about the term acceptable risk. If you want to try to stay safe, well, you can follow social distancing protocols, take the vaccine. But if you want to live your life like normal, the risk, it's on you. Instead, too many of these public health experts were in a rush to make definitive statements before the data was in. Then they got all pedantic once we knew more. They totally blew it with masks and making people believe that they did nothing right out of the gate and then changing course. They wrecked the whole mask initiative. They blew it with vaccines by overselling them. You can still get COVID if you're vaccinated. It's just that the virus does a heck of a lot less damage. Now that Omicron is spreading like wildfire, I am really glad that the White House is actually showing some leadership, taking charge. Biden's talking about getting vaccinated as your patriotic duty. That's Eisenhower style. How many times have we begged him to do that? And he's finally making it easy for people to get tested, which we've needed from the very beginning. And not insurance rebates. Stupid. Right at home. 
or at least some testing center somewhere. I don't know. Pretty vague. However, I've got to ask, where is he going to get the 500 million promised tests? I mean, does he have a secret stash somewhere? We're going to get it from the Chinese. I don't think they're available in this country. But in the end, I think we need to make this whole vaccination issue more like tobacco. Our government has tried very hard to get people to stop smoking. It's largely worked. Plenty of people still smoke. Though. Well, they're assuming the risk. We don't want them to spread that risk to us via secondhand smoke, so we don't let them light up indoors. By the same token, businesses should have the right to deny service to people who haven't gotten vaccinated. Big venues should insist that people be vaccinated. Beyond that, there's not much more they can be done now that Biden's trying to roll out mass testing. The nation's just too divided, and we're clearly not going to get another lockdown, thank heavens. The way I see it, we should be making an aggressive push to get everyone vaccinated. But if you still don't want to get your shots, we should make it very clear that you are on your own. And if Pfizer really has an antiviral pill that could be approved as early as tomorrow and it can't make enough, and I'm talking about 50 to 100 million, well, the Fed should commandeer it under the Defense Production Act and make a lot of other drug companies produce it, too, on an emergency basis. Dr. Topol says, by the way, that it's not that hard to make. All this would be a whole lot easier, though, if the CDC, NIH and FDA spoke as one with a lot more clarity, a lot more humility and maybe just maybe with the facts at hand. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.